Well, you said Lawrence Black was weird. It was. I knocked on for ages, but she didn't answer. Right, I've heard of this strange phenomenon. It's called uh, not being in. Very funny. Yeah. Well, the radio was on, and I could smell bacon. You've been scooby-doing around, haven't you? The door was unlocked, so I let myself in. You can't just let yourself into girls' flats. Mm, and you put it like that. Right, so you broke in, then what? Thought it was a tip. <laughs> like always. More so. Hey, it's me. Look, I've been doing some detective work. Daphne to your shaggy. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 294 of The Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street Catcher podcast that watched two official Carry On films this week and is maybe counting this week's episodes of Corey as a third. I'm Gavin. <laughs> and I'm very, very sorry I made you watch that movie. Oh, jeez. The Neon what? The Neon Demon. <sighs> In a universe of one out of ten star movies. <laughs> like if that's all that existed was one out of ten star movies. Uh-huh. That would still be a one out of ten star movie. <laughs> oh, so poor. I didn't mind it as much as you did. But I did mind it. <laughs> I don't like seeing Keanu Reeves play mean, creepy people. I, I prefer He was all of those things. Yes. Yeah. That was and and maybe a rapist in that movie? Or a murderer? A child. Or rapist. maybe both? Yeah. That's not something you want to think of, Keanu Reeves. No, and it certainly doesn't set the mood for our (laughs) 294th Coronation Street podcast. Helen, how are you this week? I've been better, but I've been worse. How about you? I have been a ball of stress this week. I know, my poor darling. For a, a few reasons. Yes. One of them is me. One of them I'm looking at. Another one's my work. Yes. But aside from that, I'm fine. <laughs> we may have put auction talk into retirement. Oh, no, don't do it. Because it's it's over. It's over. No more. Well, maybe no more auction talk. Maybe no more You don't want me to hit this button one last time? No. I want people to be really sad to not hear that. Because for some people... This is their favourite part of the podcast. I know, I know, and I apologise to those people. But I may be working for another auction company as of next week, so... Don't jinx it. It might come back. You are between auction houses at the moment. I am currently between auction houses. So, yes, the bullies won. The bullies won. But one of them also caught COVID, gentle listeners. So... Not as if you're taking any glee from this at all. But the, you should. You should. The universe evens things out as as it will. Acts of God happen <laughs> every day. Have you talked about the bullies on this podcast? I don't know if you have. Well, we, we the, there's people at my work who hate me. And then we had lots of delightful oh, right, okay. people yes. call in and say, well, not call in, write in and say how much they love me, which was really, really, really nice. So... You know, if those people can send some freelance work my way, 
I wouldn't say no. Or if anyone has a, a theme tune for being unemployed. For writing assignments, etc. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean... I got a lot of stuff done around the house. I'm like really on top of the laundry at the moment. <laughs> I've applied to like 30 jobs. I got to take Steli to bowling, the bowling championships for the region. She came in 16th. We're very proud. Last year, she came in 13th. 16 is very close to 13. So we're still very proud. Yes. Well, I'm not the one that's mentioning <laughs> how she's apparently deteriorated over 12 months. So. She was the second highest of her of her team. So yeah. we are very proud. So, you know, and I got to watch lots of movies and, and get a lot of stuff done and, and take a moment to reflect on what I want out of life. <laughs> so, well, and there's still plenty of money in the bank. We're, we're not suffering we're, we will be okay. We will we will survive. Right, Broom? Sure. <laughs> that doesn't mean that you're not going to stress about it, though. Well, of course I'm going to stress about it. <laughs> that's, that's what I do. That's your job. But at least you only had two episodes of Coronation Street to watch this week. You sure you? I don't want to hit this button just one more time. <laughs> Fine, go ahead. <laughs> And I'll just let that fade out. Yes. Without me going, action dog, on top of it. You just did. Not on top of it. <laughs> Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that pink slip, Cory News. <laughs> news as John Savadent, who played Fred Elliott and his cavalcade of noises has died. Eight. Oh. Wonderful noises from such. Del- you John forgot. Sargent. You forgot. Hello, little baby. Oh, that's, that's not you- a noise. That's. I know, but that's how you should have ended it. Yeah. Because that's my favorite. It's hello, baby. Hello, little baby. She's Italian all of a sudden. <laughs> yes. Hello, little baby. There you go. There we go. <laughs> hello, little baby. Yeah, as I said, Italian. Such a wee shame. It I, is. I learned about this as I typically learn about people who've passed away <laughs> sitting on the toilet. <laughs> I got some uh, Twitter notifications uh, from Duncan Lindsay at the Metro and then some other people who knew that I put together mm-hmm. these uh, these clip compilations of the noises that Fred makes. Which is so delightful to listen to, disembodied. Yeah. So th- that was how that was how I learned about it, and it was just such such a such a shame and such a, a sad loss to the Coronation Street family. I mean, he's Absolutely. not been in 
obviously not been in it for years, but he's very much a part of the classic Corey at mm-hmm. the moment and will be in classic Corey for, for years to come. Mm-hmm. It's a weird one because I don't we're not losing them from the current show and right. we still have them in the old show, but right. it's just such a a titan of the cobbles and an absolute legend. Yeah. And legend is a word that's overused, but this <laughs> This can certainly be used without fear of exaggeration when it comes to John Savadon. Just a, an immense presence on the show. Every time he walked into a, a shot, I just smiled because you never know what's going to come out of his mouth. It's kind of <laughs> like Dev these days. Yes. You don't know what kind of Dev you're going to get. You right. never knew what kind of Fred you're going to get, but you knew it's probably going to be loud. Yeah, and funny. Yeah, and... Yeah. And I've been watching him in other things today. He was a doctor in The Remains of the Day. Was he? Mm-hmm. He's, uh, he's a guy who tends to Stephen's dad in The Remains of the Day. Wow. He's an auctioneer in Hudson Hawk. Aw. And he's immense in that role as the auctioneer. Yeah, I read your review. In a movie that a lot of people hate, I personally quite enjoy it. Uh-huh. And... Also saw him in an unaired pilot of Blackadder. He was never in the Blackadder show. Right. But he was in this unaired pilot uh, that is on Daily Motion. I think it was maybe on BBC last year or the year before. Mm-hmm. And in nothing that I've seen him in did he sound like Fred Elliott. <laughs> and apparently had book upon book about the Lancashire accent and history to, to make his... The voice that he used as Fred as authentic as possible. Wow. So, yeah, what a guy. A real sad loss. Absolutely. Jodie Pringer is set to perform in a concert style version of Gypsy as Mama Rose for charity. And I've never been angrier to be living in America. <laughs> Can you imagine how fantastic she's going to be in that role? Absolutely. Yeah, she'll be fantastic. Uh, uh, dying over here. And finally, while TikTokers were asking America Ferreira if she'd rather have a gay son or a thought daughter at the People's Choice Awards, Anthony Cotton and Liam McShane were asked on Good Morning Britain if AI will be writing Corey scripts in the future when the presenters got tired of all of the bullying chat. What the fuck? Good Morning Britain. Yeah, Anthony Cotton apparently didn't take too kindly to this line of questioning. No, no, absolutely not. He's like, there's lots of other things I'd rather talk about, like getting free train rides for members of the military. Yeah, he's a patron for a uh, veteran's charity, I think. Right, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and also, it's just a stupid thing to even be talking about when AI is already, is still, still so terrible. Yeah, I mean... It's not good. It only writes about 75% of my notes. (laughs) You know, and then poor Liam is like, why are you asking me? I'm a teenager. <laughs> no, he said that he's not really as uh, right. tuned into tech as, as some of his, his friends age, are. Yeah. Which was a very diplomatic Absolutely. answer that was maybe not quite reflected in Mr. Cotton's answer. Right. Yeah. But still. <laughs> which is quite funny. I'm 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 on Anthony's side here because it's a it it's like it's like he's they're they're both very very seriously talking about 
this whole bullying thing and yeah, how the- important it is and how important it is to show it from the side of a parent who can't imagine their child is a bully and how how one reacts to that sort of thing. And then they're like, oh, that's all very interesting. What do you think of AI? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they were talking as well about the the aspect of the bullying story that is the, the person who's bullied into becoming a bully. Right. Which is Dylan's role. Absolutely. And, and an aspect of the storyline that I think we found quite egregious is is how Dylan has become so wrapped up as, as becoming the bully right. to the point where he appeared to be enjoying it. Right. I think that's the interesting part in this storyline that is is how that has kind of manifested itself, that mm-hmm. he's not really the bullying type, but he, th- but this is how he finds himself. Right. He's scared for himself. He's still right. a coward. Yeah. Yeah, he's still he's very still cowardly. Mu- this, but, this week, he's still very cowardly. Mm-hmm. But... Which we'll talk about in a bit. But I guess it's kind of nuanced. Yes. And that's Corey News. That's Corey News. And, you know, we can talk about bullies and and being, for the moment, out of work and all that sort of stuff and the stress that goes along with it. But, Helen, you've written some Corey News there that is just seamlessly as ever taking us into our feedback section, which I like to call Everyone's a critic. Oh, excellent. It takes more than that to knock you off. That's right. Daisy got in touch this week. Hey, lovelies. Aww. (laughs) So nice to get almost two hours out of you this week. I've been thinking a lot about the person who got in touch regarding Bobby. That was our cheeky. Yes. I really appreciated their comments from their own lived experience and it's made me a lot more wary of Bobby's behaviour on the show. It also got me into a big reading hole around disability in TV, which I'm really grateful for. I also agree that it's so nice that they have toned his vibe down and I really like him and Lauren together. Long may that continue. Haven't got much else to add as I'm cry laughing through your analysis. A week without your podcast is not life worth living. Aww. Said with not an ounce of exaggeration there. No, not at all. Thank you so much, Daisy. And that's a really nice aspect of this is by the feedback that we get. Mm-hmm. You know, you you shed some light on some things for other people who see things in a different perspective. And I think right. that's a really and, and great And then part. do their own research. Yeah, it's fantastic. Lovely. That's fantastic. And talking of Chiquet, they got in touch to say the fact that Anthony Cotton fully went rage mode on his own son finding out the truth about the bullying is exactly what I wanted to see from Sean for literally the past decade. Moreover, I'm really keen to see how Dylan goes deeper into the bullying mess. Dylan's a kid who would sacrifice anything not to be the one being attacked, but you can't verbalise that to his father or anyone close to him for fear of becoming a target. On the other side of things, knowing that Bethany and Daisy break apart as hard as they do is kind of hilarious because neither women should be with Daniel, as we've mentioned before. Yes. In reality, I think Bethany should be with Craig. What? What? And Daisy should be with Ryan. Yeah, I can see that. (laughs) Problem solved. Bethany made Craig a better person and he didn't rest on his laurels like he did with Faye. Uh, Well, yes, but see, the problem is, is that Bethany came before Faye. So all of the good work that Bethany may or may not have done for Craig to make him a better person has just been demolished by the fact that he's now a racist, crooked cop. Yes. And probably still has OCD. Yeah. Which, you know, 
will pop up eventually when they when when it's convenient for the show. And then Noel wrote in, "Hello, Yay! hello from somewhere, the canopy of the Amazon rainforest. <laughs> the weather today, hot and sunny." I'm totally on board with Mason taking a good beating, but even Bear would be seeing him go down for his hit and run. Yes! Yes! <laughs> this is another thing that this we This is another thing that the show seems to have totally forgotten about. That's making it on a Wendy's list of things the show's forgotten about. Right. So now we've got on that list, Damon is a child abuser, PC Tinker has OCD, Stu had a deadly cough, Roy gave everything he owned to Nina and then never took it back, Toya is a murderer, and now Mason ran over Eliza. <laughs> and you, stole Tyrone's car. Any more things that you can think of that the show has forgotten, by all means, let us know. Anyway, back to <laughs> Noel's missive. This is added to Dylan finally stepping up and turning him in as one of the few ways that he can redeem himself at this point. Okay, first the beaten, but from Liam. One thing people need to be aware of is no matter how tough you are or think you are, if someone has a plan to get you, you're going to be got. Yeah. Liam is much smarter than Mason, so he can use his brain to come up with a plan of attack. One can only dream. Let's all remember that Liam knows that Mason is the one who hit Eliza. He was there with Dylan when Mason told both of them that he's the one. Oh, so he does. Yeah. Yeah. So once, once he's got his confidence back up a little bit by all of these adults being very supportive of him, Maybe, just maybe, he'll finally turn him in for it, this. It's a shame that the show's forgotten about it, though. Yes, it is. And then Noel finishes off by saying, I have to admit that I'm always thrilled when you read my comments on your podcast. It's my 15 minutes of fame. Well, imagine how we feel when we have people who take the time to write into us. Absolutely. And also consider us famous. <laughs> Feedback. Is always welcome. Send us your thoughts and I will probably read them out. Get us at the talk of the street at gmail.com or our DMs are open at Corey Podcast. We start recording this usually between 7 and 9 pm Eastern Standard Time. So just take that into account if you're sending us stuff for this week. Correct. But in the meantime, thank you to Daisy, Chicky, and Noel. We very much appreciate it. Very much appreciate it. it, even. And now we'll podcast for coffee. Thank you to Ellie for her coffees this week. Thank you, Ellie. Ellie writes, enjoy. Caffeine is life. Thank you very much indeed. This is true. Unfortunately, very sadly, our 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 coffee baker bought the farm this week. I really did. Just in a week where nothing can fucking go right. <laughs> the coffee maker has to break. But we've got a new one. Yes. I was thinking they're like about 90 bucks. And I was like, oh, that's all we need. It was 40, so... Right, yeah. 90 bucks is like a Keurig. And who wants a Keurig? It's just a waste of plastic. Thank you so much, Ellie. We really appreciate it. I am drinking a Canada Dry, as per usual. Oddly, caffeine-free. Yes, and I am drinking cranberry juice. With added caffeine. Also, notably, caffeine-free. The Talk of the Street is and will always be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes. But if you think our show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and if you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. You can also sign up to be a friend of the podcast through the same link where for as little as two bucks a month. You can get a mention in the closing credits of each and every episode. And remember, 
you can always support the podcast for free. Get us in front of new listeners by liking, subscribing, rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts. And now, this. A welcome, welcome, welcome. And welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Pound Shop Jockey Wilson. Pound Shop Jackie Wilson. Jockey Wilson. Jockey Wilson. Just Brian. Who, you remember who Jockey Wilson was? No. No. That's right. This was Evelyn accusing Paul, who had hit her with a dart in the pub, like he was some pound shop Jockey Wilson. Jockey Wilson being a famous Scottish darts player from the 1980s. Yes, I still find the fact that people watch darts amusing. I've got lots of friends who went to the darts last week. Yes. They, they dress up as dartboards and went to watch Which darts in Glasgow. Which dangerous. Why would you dress up like a dartboard? Somebody's going to hit you. Like somebody who's dressed up as a dart. Right. Yeah. Was that Chaz and... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw her Facebook posts. I was Gavin and you had nothing to say. <laughs> An unusual what? week. What? It had been a rough, icy and stressful week. Must be something about the end of February. You were busy with simulcast auctions. You're going to need to get ready for this, by the way. Lots of, lots of this time last year. Talks about, about auctions, yes. Mm-hmm. I was busy setting up... What do you up- think my, my, uh, my Facebook memories are like? <laughs> I was busy setting up the PS4 again in this room, and I must have played it since then, maybe six times. If that. I'd already worn shorts and flip-flops at this point in the year, but I resisted the temptation to do the same this year but you could have but I could have this week yeah it's a tough week for Alia as the men of the street line up to tell her to go and see Max to make him feel better about her being stabbed hated that David is flustered when Max doesn't want him to visit so ill-advisedly seeks solace in booze sticking his tongue down Maria's throat and being cheeky to Jenny Carla makes plans to return to work until Stephen ensures she feels her psychosis returning again Paul comes clean to Billy about his involvement in the brutal shoving of Mike <laughs> while struggling to come to terms after his horrific motorcycle accident. That gave him MND. Despite blocking him from her socials and reporting him to the police, Daisy cannot shake the unwanted attentions of Justin. I'm so glad that's over. Gemma gets her likey bill. Jaden is seeking alternate representation. Who was Jaden? Jaden was the a client of Adam's who had stabbed someone. Oh, that's right. Which triggered Alia. Yes. And PC Scott's hard drive needs investigating. Our moment of the week was Alia confronting Max in prison, and our boring moment of the week was the Dan's departure, and that was Coronation Street and the Talk of the Street this time last year. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Okay, we've only got a couple of episodes to go through this week, but do you know what? A couple of really good episodes. Yes. Agreed. There was... Something different in both that made both of them really, really work for me. And I thought, you know, this is definitely the best this year, I think. Absolutely. So, an abridged uh, recap incoming. We will start with Bully for You. On Monday, Maria is true to her word from last week and has slept at the foot of Liam's bed to make sure he doesn't... do anything stupid in inverted commas mm-hmm. Liam's already had enough of it and is further frustrated when Maria announces that she's taken him to see Gadas 
Gallas quickly prescribed some Prozac and antibiotics, and then after hearing Liam's story, where he admits he really did want to end things, she recommends him seeing a mental health specialist, but the waiting list is predictably long. And Maria was really shocked by this, because this kind of flies in the face of what Liam had said to her last week, where right. he was just looking into it. There was never any danger of right. it. But yes. here he's saying to Gallas that there really was some danger of it. Right, yes. She's also horrified by the fact that it may take six months to a year to get him seen by a specialist mm-hmm. because of the fact that he may actually try to do something. It's just the latest in a line of Cory characters, though, that are surprised by how long things can take in the, right. in the NHS. Yes. And then saying to their partners that we'll need we to may go have private. to go private. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is Gary still rich? I think Or did he give all of that money to, to Kelly the Chin? She certainly got some of it. Because she, she gave got, it away, remember? Right, yeah. I think she got most of it, didn't she? He had to have kept something back because he hasn't really been bothered by... That's who I should work for. <laughs> Gary Windass, hire me. Yeah, go it's work for that, a murderer. It's not that much of a commute. I've worked for worse. Yuck, yuck. <laughs> Until then, uh, Gadas recommends Maria keeps an eye on Liam and to use some online support that's available. Meanwhile, Gary comes across Dylan and Mason at the precinct. Mason's given it the big I am routine and Gary calls his bluff by stamping on the ground and shifting right, his yeah. head towards him and, like, oh! and Mason absolutely shits himself he and does. I fucking love that that was great but then when he's going to go away and uh, just leave it Mason starts bad, bad mouthing Liam basically telling him that he needs to watch his back etc right yeah threatening him so Gary throws Mason to the ground and it's only a passing Sean that sadly prevents Gary from pummeling the absolute fuck out of Mason which would have been so pleasing to watch so pleasing this allows Sean to be indignant. Uh, I mean, you talk about Liam being a bully. What have I just witnessed here? Says mm-hmm. Sean. Mason and Dylan pretend that they don't know why Gary snapped. At home, when Gary admits to this running, Liam does not react well, thinking that Gary's no. now made things ten times worse. Then back home, in front of George and Eileen, Sean demands to see Dylan's phone to clear this up once and for all. Dylan refuses, but he can only do this for a short time because it sounds suspicious as fuck when he... Uh, when he doesn't do it so when Sean insists and he has to hand it over what Sean sees makes his eyes leap out on stalks right and also tear up and this is perhaps the best Sean we've seen in is it an exaggeration to say years I do not think it's an exaggeration I was thinking was was Sean better during the homeless storyline because that's really the last time that Sean had something <clears throat> meaty to get his teeth into. Correct. Although he did have those he, couple of boyfriend storylines. Right, and one of them was a bully. A bully of George. Mm-hmm. Do you think that was the point of Frank the Wank? To set this up like two years later? No, surely no, not. No, surely not. Surely not. I mean, it's a, it, it's a happy coincidence. It, yeah, it did get called back, so. I think since the, the homeless storyline where Sean did have some proper mm-hmm. stuff to do yes i still don't think he was as good as he, as he was in this, this week. scene yeah it's a very good scene for, scene for sean yeah 
And he just tears Dylan to pieces for being a horrid fucking bully. And a homophobe. And he knows that what that word means because he's got the blood-soaked t-shirt to prove it. And how could Dylan send homophobic messages? And Dylan says, I'm not any, I'm not a homophobe, as he says, waving his finger at, right, at Sean. Uh, and Sean's like, I've read the message. Right, yeah. Just because yeah. you don't believe it, right. you still said it. Right, exactly. Yeah, and it's absolutely ridiculous. Dylan saying, you don't know what it's like. And it's like your dad just explained that he very much knows what it's like. Mm-hmm. Dylan calls it banter. And says that he's not the only one doing this. And this just sets Sean off even more, because that means that there's a gang. Right. There's a gang of you doing this. Right. He says he's never been so ashamed of his son and sends him to his room while he worries about the amount of humble pie he's going to have to eat. Credit where it's due, though, he does go round to Gary and Maria and he takes all the anger that Maria has to offer. Gary, if anything, I don't know if you're just embarrassed by the whole thing, but he's yeah. like, you know, just lots just it takes a bit of guts to do this, which yeah. is true, but Maria She's a no mood to let him off the hook here. Yeah. The mama bear is not going to let him off the hook. Yeah. Sean promises that Dylan will go to Crawshaw after half term and back up Liam's side of the story and hand over the messages. Liam, in particular, seems grateful to Sean. But Dylan has already tipped off Mason, who makes it very clear that unless Dylan takes responsibility for this on his own and keeps Mason's names out of it, Mason will make Dylan's life a misery. Gulp, says Dylan. Get it right fucking up, ye, says everyone. Yeah. Oh, so on Wednesday, rather unfortunate timing, but Wednesday is Dylan's 16th birthday. And everyone's making a big deal about it being his 16th birthday. Right. I don't remember anyone making a big deal about my 16th. My 18th, yes. My 21st, yes. My 16th, not you're, really. You're sweet 16. I was a very sweet 16. <laughs> I was trying to remember my 16th birthday. I can, I was like shocked that all of these adults remembered their 16th birthday. I don't. I don't remember my 16th birthday. My 18th, I think I spent in that London. My 21st, I spent in New York. Right. My 16th, I've no idea. I was no. Probably about to go back to school. Yeah. I probably had like a sleepover with my friends and we watched a goofy movie and literally a goofy movie a movie and, about goofy yeah yeah called a goofy movie have you never seen a goofy movie no you've never been so cool helen <laughs> it's a very cool movie it's very much jet x culture right there and i've probably made a fool of myself I've, it probably wasn't out by the time i was 16 but anyway um although i feel like it was very 90s um and then we went to we ate too much cake and we went to bed and that's that's it you know and all oh i i guess i i guess george considering that was the first time his dad let him help him with a body i can see how that was memorable yeah for the wrong reasons <laughs> for the being scarred for life reasons right i'm sorry to inform you helen a goofy movie came out when you were 19 <laughs> How was that cake? Ah, <laughs> uh, oh well. You were no, cool, actually, we you were, were cool for a minute. No, you know what? It was probably beaches. We probably watched beaches because we were all obsessed with beaches, or the, or the, uh, or I, the DVD of Phantom of the Opera with all of the Andrew Lloyd Webber 
interviews intermixed. The director's cut? <laughs> yeah. Well, well director's it was commentary. A, right, because it was a staging of... I, I can Fantas- follow that, yep. Right, it wasn't an actual movie. It was, it was, a, it was watching the staging. I, yeah. I do understand. My friends and I were all obsessed with Andrew Lloyd Webber when we were teenagers. So very cool. See, the only thing that really happens when you're 16 is you can, I think you can join the army with parental consent. Really? And you can have full sexual intercourse. None of those things are true here. So and yet you, we have like the sweet 16s. But when I turned 16, despite the fact that I could legally do what I had done one time before I was 16. Oh, well, who's the cool one now? Going into my 16th year was the start of a very, very long dry period. <laughs> so the fact that I Of could, going into the military. <laughs> so the fact that I could have sexual relations was not something that was ever going to concern me. Becoming 17 was a big deal because then you could drive. Or See. learn to drive. See, 16, I could learn to drive... But I had to wait until I was 18 to be able to legally have sex or join the military. And at least I don't have to sign up for selective service because I'm a girl. Right. Yeah, differences between the US and the UK. There are so many of them. We should do a podcast. We should do a podcast. (laughs) It's too bad you erased all of those episodes. I didn't. I've still got them. Oh, yeah. They're not available to the public anymore. No, when you stop paying for for that feed, it Uh disappears. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. So Mary, Eileen, George are decorating the living room, but Sean couldn't give a rat's arse. And when Dylan comes in, Sean throws his present at him. It's a watch with an engraving, Sean is careful to say. And then he leaves. Later, Eileen has a word with Sean, advising him not to ruin Dylan's special 16th and Sean's own memories of it, because the anger will pass, which is true enough. Yes. Sean, though, is still devastated. Meanwhile, George speaks to Dylan calmly and explains the impact bullying from Frank the Wank had on his life. He says only Dylan has the power to change things, to take responsibility, and Dylan appreciates the advice and thanks him. And later, Dylan gets to speak to Sean, hands back the watch with the twee engraving of Best Son of All Time on it. Sure. Well, at least it's not got I love you to the moon and back. Dylan promises to speak to Mrs. Crawshaw and Liam because he's determined to make things right. Sean... Gives him a hug, but as Dylan goes to see Liam, he's stopped by Mason, who pressures Dylan back into silence and then drags him away with him to the Red Wreck. And that's as far as we get with that story right. this week. And Dylan, you know, because he stops him like right at the door and Mason's like, oh, what are you, go- what are you doing going in there? There are two, at least two other apartments in that building that he could be visiting. What, he's visiting Nick and Leanne? Yes. Wait, you see he's, he's, his he's, best friend Nick. No, he's going to see his best friend Sam, who's going to help him with his homework. Who lives in the other apartment? Do we know? I because there's a. I noticed the other names written down, but I didn't. I didn't commit it. Because there's memory. a ground floor flat there. Yeah. As well, that neither Nick nor Gary own. So, it the fact that he cannot think of anything to else to say there. Mm-hmm. To get Mason off his back. It's kind of ridiculous. But the way they left it, it made it sound, or it made me doubt anyway, his sincerity when he was talking to Sean and George. Right, yeah. Either that or he's just that terrified of this Mason kid mm-hmm. 
that he's going to say to Mason whatever he wants. I'm really afraid he's not really going to talk to Crawshaw. Right. But, I mean, if he did, and and Liam did, and if they both bogged uh, Mason in for stealing the car and hitting Eliza, it would solve both of their problems very quickly. Because Mason would be gone. I mean, thanks again to Noel for reminding us of something that the show forgot, but... That might be where we're going for the the end of this, and they're they're kind of deliberately not mentioning it now, right. so that we don't figure out how it's going to happen. Liam has kind of hinted about this and the whole knife thing, because he has said to Maria and Gary, "You don't know the worst of it. He's done other things, but then he doesn't elaborate on what those other things are." Yeah, and Dylan, I think, well, the last that we heard, still has the knife. I thought he said he threw it away in a oh, in that garbage can that I leaned through that gun in. I think that was maybe just wishful thinking on their part. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know about Dylan not speaking to Crawshaw because that would mean two scenes in a couple of weeks where kids are going to go and see Crawshaw with their parents and then don't say anything. Right. And we can't have that twice. So well, we can. So maybe maybe Dylan goes and maybe he chooses not to drop Mason in on it. Yeah. Which would be unfortunate. Which just extends this storyline out. And I mean, I haven't really enjoyed an awful lot of this because of because of the memories of where I was cowardly. Right. And in my youth and the people that I chose to hang about with. Um so it's been a tough watch on a personal level. It's been a tough watch on just the just seeing these uh, these bullies in action is is never is never pleasant. Yeah, and it's but it's been kind of well done. In fact, it's been very well done. It's it's meant to make you feel like this, I guess. Yeah, it's not quite so much fun for people like me who this is triggering memories for me quite quite recent memories, in <laughs> fact, of being bullied and feeling helpless and hopeless and everything. I, I have seen some comments on, on Instagram and stuff of people being like, you know, this is this is an important thing, but can you please wrap it up? Because it's it's very triggering for me to watch. Yeah, and that's where I'm at. I think they've done a good job. They've got the message across, I think. It's time to move on to something else now. Right. But what I fear is happening is that this is getting extended out into maybe a, a third act of it that is well, going to take us for another couple of months before the Eliza thing comes out. We shall see. Let's move on to our next storyline, which is No Sex Please We're Dee Dee. On Monday, Adam is amused when he discovers Joel has spent the night and winds Dee Dee up about getting her hole. She insists it was innocent. Joel, though, has left his wallet and Dee Dee sees a jeweler's receipt in it that gets everyone's brains a-ticking. Maybe he's going to be buying an engagement ring, do you think? Outside, meanwhile, Alia sees Joel loudly arguing on the phone and is instantly suspicious for no real reason. Well, because she's Alia. At the office, Alia is amused as Adam winds Didi up about a possible engagement ring, but the banter looks childish when Joel comes in to say that he spent the money on himself on a new pair of cufflinks, 300 quid. Is that expensive for cufflinks? I have no idea. I mean, it depends upon what the cufflinks are made of. That the one would assume that gold cufflinks are more expensive than cufflinks made out of shite, for right. example. Right, yes. Gold or, or platinum ones with, like, diamonds in them, yeah, 300 quid sounds about right. Hmm. 
Alia and Adam aren't buying this for a second, and later, when Alia sees Joel drive by in a car with another woman in it, she's even more suspicious. She and Adam share more Joel chat on their own back in the office, and they agree that something is up with that bloke, just like Gav said months ago. Alia's fears are cemented later when she sees Dee Dee and Joel in the bistro, and he insists that he was in court all day today. Toya shares her concerns and digs up some CCTV of the woman. Just... At your fingertips. Right. This random meeting at a certain point in an unspecified time of day. Right. Toya can find the CCTV of it. Joel's arguing with this woman in the bistro a few weeks ago, and it's the same woman. Dum, dum, dum. Oh my God, says Alia, this proves... Nothing. Absolutely nothing. On Wednesday at the law office, Alia runs her worries about Joel past Adam, showing him the footage on the CCTV. Adam thinks it's sketchy evidence at best and advises her to keep her nose out but Alia doesn't know how to keep her nose out and immediately tells Dee Dee about her suspicions, showing her the footage of two people talking in a restaurant. Sisters before misters. And this is all the proof Dee Dee needs. So later, when Joel comes over, Dee Dee confronts him with her evidence and Joel admits that the woman that he was seeing is Emily, his wife. What? Soon to be his ex-wife, but the damage is done here and it's compounded when he mentions that there's a kid and he separated from Emily when she was pregnant because he was having an affair. Dee uh, Dee is destroyed by this. Gav was right all along, she cries, and <laughs> ends it with Joel on the spot. Every time you say that, I think you're referring to Gav on the show. No. Who, who, somebody, who Tim called We Gav on the show this week and i was like oh because because the kid who lives next door to us is referred to as we gav because you're big gav in the rovers Didi validates alia's nosiness by telling her everything joel confessed to eventually Didi agrees to a meeting with joel and she listens to his story again how he swears he isn't cheating on Didi with his wife and how those cufflinks were actually a memory charm bracelet thing for, for his, his daughter kid. yeah Dee Dee listens to him, listens to him, Who promise he has... spends $300 on something for like a five-year-old kid? My dad put £500 in our savings account for me when I was that age. That's different than a piece of jewellery. I wonder if I still left that. Did I touch that? Probably not. That's probably like, like £7 million that's in a <laughs> nationwide bank account for me now. Yeah, it's, it's like the... the U.S. bond saving certificate that I have in the box upstairs that my mom bought Nick when he was born. Yeah, I don't remember touching that money. No, because it's not easy to touch. It was in an account that was called a seven-day account. And it wasn't nationwide. It was Abbey National. I don't know if they're even a thing anymore. And you weren't allowed to touch it for seven days without seven days' notice, otherwise you'd lose interest, which who cares? Anyway, Didi listens to him promise that he has no more secrets, but then decides that she can't trust him, and they really are finished. I should have listened to Gav, Didi says. And that's as far as we get with that this week. So I was right. Well, you thought it was a girlfriend, and you didn't have any idea about the kid. I didn't have any idea about the kid, but I knew that there was another woman, and I was right, right about that. But he's not seen this other woman he's trying to divorce this other the whole problem is that he has seen her he's seen her twice no once in the bistro and once in the car what i mean by seen 
is he's not he's not dating or in a sexual relationship with his wife anymore. They are estranged. And the only reason why he is meeting with her is because she found him by calling his office. Now, you can do as much as you like to try and deflate from the fact. I was wrong that Joel was a baddie. I, I was wrong for thinking. I nope, said maybe. he was a wrong one, and the rec- and the history books, Helen, will show that I've called him a wrong one. Basically, from all the very year. beginning, right from the very beginning of this relationship, nearly because they're all wrong ones to start with, aren't they? There's always there's always something. There's always some skeletons in the closet. Gav has always been delightful. Well, apart from the fact that apart he was from in whatever jail. he was in juvie for, which we don't know. We don't know why he was in juvie. Dee Dee kind of makes out that if she'd, if she'd known about this at the start, then it would have uh-huh. been different. If, if Joel had told her. Well. Would if, it have been different? I think it would have been different. If she he had said, look, I really want to date you, but you, but I am still technically married, but I am in the process of getting divorced. Also, I have a child. I think that would have been fine. When you and I got together, we were both involved in divorces. Mm-hmm. At the time. And we were both honest about it. But and Alia, I have children. Alia didn't see me arguing on my phone with somebody. Right. But if he had been honest from the very beginning, is what she's saying. So it wouldn't have mattered, the whole Alia stuff, if he had been honest from the very beginning. If he had been honest about it, when they first started dating, it would have been different. But he hasn't been honest about it. It, so one has to ask why, why he, he was secretive about it then. Right, yeah, because, I mean, was it like 60% of people who get married get divorced? It's pretty high. So it's not shocking. This isn't like the 1950s or something. So why is he hiding it? Maybe there's more to it than that. Maybe. Because at the start of the relationship, what have you got to lose by saying that you've You've just come out of another relationship. Right. B- big wows. Yeah. It would be weird if you hadn't. Right. Yeah, exactly. But you every know, day that passes that you don't say something becomes a bigger deal and becomes weird that you didn't say something. Right. But does it get does it get to the point where you want to finish what you've got? If you want to finish what you've got, then you don't start a relationship with our Dee. Yeah, she was getting very very excited about this and and I was surprised that Adam after taking the piss out of her getting her hole right. seemed to know that she was uh, I guess saving herself right because he knew that well not really saving herself because wait not having sex before marriage yeah now now yeah so Adam knew her stance on right premarital sex now right as did all but, but then he'd been taking the piss out of her for maybe getting her hole when he knew that she wouldn't have been. Right, yeah, which is kind a of a, an asshole joke, isn't it? Well, kind of mocking her a bit. Adam is kind of a dick about this sort of thing. But she never seemed to feel like, like he was mocking her. Didn't didn't she? At one point, she she called either she called him on it or Alia called him on it when Dee Dee left. One of the two of them said to Adam, that's uncalled for. That was that was not that was not nice. One imagines though that this isn't going to be the end for Joel and Dee Dee. I do think though that we're going to now that 
this woman has a name and the daughter has a name, I reckon we're going to learn a little bit more about both of them. Yeah. But I don't think I don't think they're introducing Joel just for this and then then he's off. Because what's the point of that? Do you think uh, in the meantime, Adam might take advantage of the situation? With Didi? Mm-hmm. No. You don't think so? No, I don't get any vibe that the two of them dig each other that way. Do you? Really? Oh, you do? Maybe. I mean, Adam hasn't had sex in a while. Yeah. And Didi's not going to have sex with him. But he is a very Randy Scotsman. He is Randy. Is he Randy? As all Scotsmen are. I don't know. He's still too much in his baggage about Sarah and stuff for for that, I think. Yeah, I, I, I didn't see it. I think Adam's more likely to pork Alia than, than anything else. Oh, That's no. a bad choice of words. That was a very bad choice of words. Stay, which you realised as soon as it came out of your mouth. Stay tuned for bad choices of words later. Stay tuned, of which for, plenty. Stay tuned later for Gav's apology to everyone of the Muslim religion. And also Jews. Yeah. Just because. Well, sure. While we're at it. While we're at it. We might as well. Oh, God. I guess we'd better move on from that and hope that nobody noticed. <laughs> All right, moving on. Our next storyline is not only, but also fans again. On Monday, Bobby. Bobby! 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 Phone! That boy ain't right. That doesn't sound like Bart Simpson. I don't care what you say. No, it's Bobby it's comes Hank in Hill. To, Bobby comes into Nina's roles to see racist Kelly and to check on her. He knows about the not only but also fans thing and is also worried about the bruises that he saw last week. She also seems to have bruises along her knuckles as well. Probably defensive wounds. From punching? Mm-hmm. Mm. Racist Kelly is furious with Max and Sabrina and their loose lips. And insists that she's in control and this is just an easy way for her to make some money. Easier than some other things that she's done. And Bobby's like, like what? Use your imagination, Bobby. In fact, maybe maybe don't do that. What did she call Sabrina? A slag on a stick? Or something? No, it wasn't as nasty as that. It was pretty nasty. And I was It was quite nasty, but it wasn't as nasty as that. Shocked by it because they're friends now? Yeah. They're supposed to be friends now? Later, racist Kelly tries to pitch her far-right brainwashing life story to Bethany, who is disinterested at best but promises to look into it, warning racist Kelly that she's unlikely to make a lot of money out of it. Later, still at Nina's roles, Bethany has put in some work and made some calls and has been commissioned to write the piece, but racist Kelly loses her interest when she learns that she'll only get 30 quid from it. Pissed off, Bethany leaves, but racist Kelly notices that she's left her bag behind and unfortunately for her, she gets caught by Bethany and Roy rooting around in it and nicking a fiver. Which Did leaves- she nick the fiver, though? We never see her nick the fiver. And nobody notices that purse is there until hours later. And it's hours later when, when racist Kelly picks it up and opens it to see who it belongs to. It's as soon as Bethany leaves. No, it's it not. It is because she comes straight back in again. And that's all in one scene. No, because we see it and the camera zooms in on it and nobody picks it up. No. In that scene. Racist Kelly does. No, but not in that scene. 
Well, it's a later I, scene. Well, we're going to have to agree to disagree on that then. But anyway, Bethany notices that the fiver's missing about half a second after looking in it. Right. You know what? It's probably like shoved in a corner of her bag. Or she's just saying that so she, so she can get a fiver out of Roy because that's what happens. Roy gives her the fiver. Yeah. What's Roy doing that for? Because he's also now going to fire Racist Kelly, which makes no sense because Racist Kelly has done far worse in Nina's roles than steal a fiver. Roy does say, though, that the customers have got to trust the staff and he's got to trust his staff. And he simply doesn't. And he gives Racist Kelly her jaws and she doesn't complain about it. On Wednesday, it seems Bethany's interest in Racist Kelly's story has generated some backlash and she has plenty of threatening messages from the far-right group. Bethany refuses to be scared of it, though. Daniel reminds her of Racist Kelly's wishes to drop it. Bobby goes to see uh, Racist Kelly in Nina's roles later and is shocked to learn that she no longer works there. So he goes and sees Max, who is also worried about her and disappointed to learn that Bobby told her that they knew... That he, that he knew about the not only but also fans. Max is ha 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 furious about this. Yes, he is. Roy goes round to see Racist Kelly with her final pay packet. Gives her a little bit extra. She's grateful but thinks this is the end of her time in Weatherfield. And then Bobby goes to see Racist Kelly later to, and he finds the door unlocked. Still shut, let's not forget. Right, shut but not locked. And the radio on. Yeah, the music's on. There's a bacon sandwich on the table. No sign of life as Bobby just wanders around her flat, shouting yeah. on her, but hearing no answer. He leaves and he locks the door behind him. Back at Daniel's. I didn't know that was a bacon sandwich. I thought it was a jelly sandwich. I thought it was a sausage sandwich, but it was a bacon sandwich. Maybe there was jelly and sausage on the bacon? There was ketchup on it. There was ketchup that was leaking out over the side of it. That, that looked like it was brown. It looked brown on my screen. Back at Daniel's, he's annoyed because Bethany is writing Racist Kelly's story and Racist Kelly doesn't want it telling. Right, and also she hasn't checked in with Max either because let's remember, this is also Max's story. According to Daniel, journalists should only write stories that people are happy with. Well, that's not true. Bethany pretends that she cares about Racist Kelly and Max's thoughts on it. Now the factory, Bobby tells Max what he found at the flat. Max, who doesn't work at the factory. Yes. But he's there at the factory. Right, because Bobby's called him in. Yeah, to the factory. That he doesn't, he doesn't work, work Or have a staff pass to get in. No. Max thinks this sounds like Bobby broken. And Bobby's like, well, yeah, I guess when you say it like that. Right, but he didn't. He just opened the door. That's not breaking. You can't just break into a girl's flat, Bobby. That's quite funny. Bobby explains about the sandwich and how it was weird, but Max doesn't think this is anything to worry about. He's wrong. And oddly, that's as far as we get with that this week. Yeah. Because I thought we were going to get some conclusion to the fact that maybe was she lying injured somewhere in the flat or has she just left? But if she's left in a hurry, she's left the radio on and she's left a sandwich uneaten. No, she's been kidnapped. And the place has kind of turned over a little bit. Yeah. I mean, there's not furniture knocked over, but no. it does look a bit... There's been a struggle of some nature, right? Right. Yeah. And there's like a cup with juice on the little table thing by the tv by the sofa that's covered with a blanket and all this other stuff yeah she's been kidnapped kidnapped again on coronation street i'm sick of people getting kidnapped especially ones who are blonde and young last person to be kidnapped kelly uh, uh, adam 
Oh, I forgot all about Adam because I don't care. What was that? Three weeks ago? Four weeks ago? Three weeks ago. He was taken down to Gunpoint Bay, remember? Oh, wait. Toya and Spider were kidnapped as well. I forgot all about that. At the same same spot. At the same time. Gunpoint docks. (laughs) Where people are held at gunpoint next to water. There's Adam. Oh, would we consider Tim to be kidnapped? Yes. Yeah, by Stephen. Certainly held against his will. Yes, and left for dead in a trunk of a car or a boot, if one prefers. So are we saying that barely a month goes by in coronation without someone getting kidnapped? Who hasn't been kidnapped on this show? Wasn't David kidnapped by the guy who raped him at one point? Or was he just drugged? Yeah, just, well... That's kind of being held against your will if if you're being drugged to keep you in a place. I don't know if that would be... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe Tim I wasn't mean, kidnapped. No, Tim was kidnapped. He was kidnapped and thrown in a boot. <laughs> you just want to say boot again. It's on a boot, the boot. Stop it. People think that this is a Canadian podcast. <laughs> you are wearing a hockey jersey. Yeah, a Detroit hockey jersey, though. Well, that's true. This is a thing, though, and I, I feel like this is going to be the last week that I say this. It's not. It's not. You need to give me a reason to care about racist Kelly. I'm sorry. And the way that you give me a reason to care about racist Kelly is you give her a redemption moment. Right. You don't have her kidnapped and abused. No. No. <laughs> and that's what's kind of going on. She's getting did we, physically did, and possibly sexually abused. Right. By some unknown character. All she has to do here is apologise. She has to apologise to Alia. She has to go to Wolverhampton or wherever Darian went and apologise to him. Right, yes. And then, you know... And do something not, to make up for what she did. Not call Sabrina bad names. When right. she doesn't call Max a bad name in that whole, in that same sentence, I feel like I feel like Bobby was supposed to redeem, redeem her a wee bit, and I feel like of all of the things that they've tried to do besides the right thing to do to redeem her, Bobby has been the most effective. But he certainly but humanized a, her. He's the least relevant one to do that because. He wasn't part of any of this. Right, but he is disabled. So? So, there are horrible people in this world who say, oh, he's be- she's being nice to this disabled man. So she must be nice now. That makes her worse. I know, it does. But I don't think the show recognises that. And I don't think that that's what she's doing, by the way. I don't think she's doing that. No, I think she genuinely she- likes him. Yeah. It's not like she's but I feel, feel sorry like, for him or anything. No, but I feel that there are people out there who have that viewpoint. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. Again, that would make her worse. Right, yes. But the longer that they go on without this happening, it makes me feel like they think they've done this already. Right, which they haven't. Well, it's kind of like Max. We redeem Max by giving him a black girlfriend and a black best friend. And now it's over. Well, to be fair to Max, though, he did have his moment with Alia, and Alia chose not to accept his apology. It's true. But at least he had that moment. Right. Where he realised what he'd done was just fucked up. Yeah. And he apologised for the part that he played in it. 
Yeah. No, and she that's told true. him to go fuck himself. Yeah. yeah. I really loved it. No, you're right. You're right. She hasn't actually she she has told other white people how that she was bad and that she was brainwashed and all this other stuff. And that's another part of it. You know, she's still not really taking accountability. She's saying, I was brainwashed into believing this stuff. So it's not my fault that I believed these horrible things. And she uses this blanket, far-right coverall. Right. Without specifying... She's always involved with some... Far-right Some far-right people and and got a little bit brainwashed by those far-right people. Yeah, she doesn't say into being racist. I was a horrible racist and I've learned the stupidity of that and I've got a lot of making up to do but I'm on the right track and I'm sorry and I'm doing my best to make up for that and to be a better person. Yeah, she hasn't done that yet. She hasn't done anything like that. No, not to a single person who isn't white. Yeah. She hasn't even said anything like that to Sabrina or Gav. No, Gav knows that she's racist or knows that she was racist. And as far as he knows, she she still is because this conversation hasn't happened. So nothing's happened to make him change his mind. Although he did because he was getting on with her great. Right. Yeah. Oh, she's nice to me now. Racism is over. Yep. Racist Kelly successfully didn't do a racism in the meeting that we had with her. So therefore... It's all good. And she's cute. <laughs> it's the last time I'm going to say it until next week. Until next week. But. I am happy that we get, that it, it, it kind of feels like Gav, at least, is becoming like a regular character. And becoming beloved by lots of people. Right. Yes. It's, I it's love fantastic. That. I love it so much. It's fantastic. I love it. Long may it continue. He was so good in the little bit. That we saw him in this week. I liked that Bobby is not just thinking with his Bobby, and does I, and does seem to be concerned about this girl to the extent that he's bringing Max into it and he's going round to her house and or going round to her flat and and is concerned about her. And I do believe that he's concerned about her for the right reasons, not yes. just because there might be a chance there. Right. No, now I that agree. He's worn her down. So uh, that's good that we've put this little dimension onto Bobby's character. <laughs> Do we have to say now that he's worn her down? Well, now that he's not that trying feels... to worn her down. Well, that's what he was doing, let's face it. Because that sounds terrible. It is, and it was creepy. It was. But then it worked. But it worked. As it sometimes does. Oh, well. I don't think we've seen the last of her. She's too good an actor to have in the show that. We're just going to let her go like this. I think she's really good in this role. They make her very angular. And when you see her outside of the show, obviously she's not. So they do a really good job with the makeup and the costumes and right. and crop tops and stuff yeah. to make her look like this sort of character. Right. It, it, it works very just well. Just like, you know, the way they make Summer still look like she's 12. By wearing a Battenberg cake. If you make somebody wear a Battenberg cake, they're going to look 12. Eventually, she's going to run out of big baggy sweaters. She wears her Battenberg cake jumper, or she wears dungarees. She wears, yeah. She wears big baggy pastel colored sweaters and dungarees. That 
poor woman, Harriet Bibby, is going to be in her 40s. Right. And still playing. And still look 12. Like a 17-year-old. At least she hasn't fainted in a while. This is true. All right, let's move on to our penultimate storyline. The Simon doesn't fall far from the Peter. And I need a different title for that now because right, we moved yeah. on from that. Yes. On Monday at the flat, Simon has found a support group for his drinking problem. But he has to drive far away for it. <sighs> yeah, next and no mood to chat about it. We'd rather that Simon did anything but drive. So Leanne quickly changes the subject to the proposed wedding in the south of France. Nick goes to number eight to decompress about the wedding stuff, but David tells um but David tells him that Plat Chat is going fucking nuts about it. Absolutely. He says Wallace and Gromit in there are getting very excited <laughs> about it, and that's hilarious. <laughs> Which one's Wallace? Which one's Gromit? Well, Gromit is obviously Gale, which would make Audrey Wallace. <laughs> Do you know I think it's funny either way? <laughs> oh, ah. Wallace and Gromit. Superb. <laughs> but David is worried about buying tickets and then it ends up all getting cancelled. And this makes Gromit very suspicious. Right. Why would it get called off, Gromit? Right, and I always didn't like her, Gromit. No, 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 wait. No, Wallace doesn't say that. Gromit says that. Gromit doesn't say anything. Well, Gromit says that by lifting his ears and then rolling his eyes. Yep, that's what we read into that. Why would they get called off? Nick calls it a bad patch and Gail gets to drop the mask and admit how much she hates Leanne (laughs) and he shouldn't go ahead with it if he has doubts. So Nick goes home tells Leanne that they need to rethink this South of France wedding thing as it's too expensive for his family for everything that's happened. Leanne is mortified that she didn't think about this and agrees to a smaller do closer to home. And Nick then tests his luck by saying that he wants to wait until after Simon's court case. Right. Whenever that is. Right. And that's as far as we get with that. Yeah, because we have no idea. Because... None of that gets mentioned this week at all. No. The police are being very, very slow about this. This can take a week or it could take six months. Or anything in between. It is up to them how long they want to drag this out. Nick's hesitance to go ahead with this when and no. I don't know why he doesn't just... If he tells her that's it over, I guess. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like that's what he wants. But it's not... Because he insists he still loves her. It's like Nick doesn't know what he wants. Well, he's angry with her. And he's angry with Simon. And he's angry with her stance on the Simon thing. So he feels that he can't tell her about it. Because every time he tries to tell her about it, she just dismisses it. And says that Simon's trying or Simon's gone through a rough patch or... Mm -hmm. Blah, 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 blah. So she doesn't really want to talk about it in the terms that he wants to talk about it. So they end up getting getting nowhere. Nick is so far over on the Simon is terrible and will never be redeemed side. Which seems a little bit excessive. It is. That's why I'm saying he's far over to the right on that. And then Leanne seems to, seems kind of in the opposite extreme. Because she kind of wants to be like, oh, well, he's getting help now, so it's over. And that's not quite right either. And Sam didn't die. Right, yeah. Sam didn't die. You don't have a dead son. I have a dead son. (laughs) So go fuck yourself, Nick. 
Next point that Simon could have killed Sam is... It's just ridiculous. But it's true. It's true, but he didn't. So that should not be the argument here. But I think he wants Leanne to acknowledge that. To acknowledge the fact that this could have worked out an awful lot worse than it did. And the reason that it didn't has got nothing to do with Simon. Like, Simon didn't save this situation or anything. Simon's just fucking lucky that the accident wasn't uh, worse than it was. Right, because they both could have died. Or the envelope that but let's, Sam let's, distracted yes, let's, Simon with wasn't let's remember, bigger. Let's remember, though, this accident would have never happened if Sam hadn't been waving that stupid envelope in front of Simon's face. But the only person who knows that is Simon, and he was too drunk to notice. Right, and Sam. Who, well, Sam doesn't know that he caused that, I don't think. I think he, I think he's aware that waving an envelope in front of somebody's eyes is stupid when they're driving. And that's why he has said a couple of times, is this my fault? And everybody's like, no, 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 of course not. But Sam doesn't say, is this my fault because I waved an envelope in front of Simon's face while he was trying to drive? If Nick said to Leanne... thank your lucky stars that Simon's accident wasn't worse and the injuries weren't uh, also worse. Right, yes. But all I want you to do is, and if if Leanne then says to that, you're right, let's thank your lucky stars that uh, Sam isn't more, more injured or dead. Let's also praise the Lord that Simon's not dead. The same for Simon. Now can we move on? Right, yes. And thank God that this was the wake-up call that Simon needed to get help. Aren't we fortunate that nothing worse happened for that to happen? Would Nick be satisfied if Leanne said that or words to that effect? I think he would. I don't know. But I think it's her reluctance to put any blame at all on Simon. More, More than... He's got a lot going on. Right. But the thing is, is that, and and Nick acknowledged this last week, Simon has taken responsibility. Simon has gone to the police. Simon has turned himself in. Simon has acknowledged that he was wrong and he could have killed Sam. Mm-hmm. You would think that the fact that Simon has done all of these things would make Nick at least more sympathetic to Simon. You would think that that would occur, but Nick is still putting the weight of Leanne's indifference onto Simon as well. So I don't think anything is going to change Nick. I think Nick is just at a point where he doesn't want to deal with any of this anymore and is just obsessed with keeping Sam safe and alive and doesn't care about anybody else anymore. Nick seems angrier with Leanne than he is with Simon. But he is still angry at Simon. You know, the whole... But I, I think there's there's a, a two stages of separation from that. I think his, his annoyance with Simon is via Leanne. Right, and that's not really fair to Simon, who has done the right thing by yeah. turning himself in and trying to get help and acknowledging to his family that he has done wrong and taken accountability and taken the first step. But if Nick thinks that this is bad, wait until Harvey gets out. Yeah. 
Which is not Simon's fault at all. No. But if he's like worried about Sam and ultra protective and all that sort of right. stuff, that's about to get a whole lot worse. Yes. Well, I, I guess before Harvey gets out, he gets an appeal. But Right. And also, let's not forget that last week, Nick did briefly blame Simon for Natasha's death. Which, there is a trail back to Simon through that. We agreed on that last week. There, there is a trail, but it's not Simon's fault that Natasha is dead. It is more Nick and Leanne's fault that Natasha is dead. It's actually more Abby's fault for having a gun. Especially a floating one. Right, yes. Where she ever got a floating gun, we'll never know. It must have been 3D printed. It's very clever. Hmm. All right, shall we move on to our final storyline? It's because I was looking at that 3D printed skull. Our final storyline is Tommy OMFG. (laughs) When is this going to be over? (laughs) Have we had enough of this yet? I don't know. I kind of love this. (laughs) I love this especially this week. Yeah, Sally the Sleuth. On Monday. Sally Sherlock. Oh my God. Detective Sally. (sighs) Detective Sally, sex crimes. (laughs) Somebody get Chuck Tingle on the phone. Chuck Tingle? You don't know Chuck Tingle? No, I was crediting you with thinking that up. No, Chuck Tingle is is the the very famous pseudonym of... Very famous? Of a writer who writes ridiculous sexual romance novels about inanimate objects pounding people in the ass. I'm surprised you're unaware of Chuck Tingle. I follow him on Blue Sky. I I don't know what to think about your surprise there. (laughs) Let's quickly skate on. On Monday, Steve has taken Amy's advice from last week to make more of an effort with Tracy and is doing some housework. His plan, though, extends beyond this, and he needs Amy's help. Meanwhile, Tommy's still working at the florist, and Tracy has a problem with how close he's getting with Steve at this. Amy comes in. This is what <laughs> is Steve wants. Is she afraid <clears throat> that he's going to have sex with Steve now? I think she thinks it's just creepy. Right. And also that the closer he gets to Steve, the more likely this is all going to come out. Yeah. So at this... Amy comes into the florist. This is the thing that Steve wanted her to do, to tell Tracy that Steve wants to meet her at the bistro and Amy will look after the shop for her. Tracy milks this for Tommy's benefit for all it's worth. And he does look to be a little bit put out at the fact that Tracy's about to go and have a romantic meal with Steve. So he starts Mm -hmm. poo-pooing it and stuff. At the bistro, Steve clears the air and tells Tracy that he loves her and the feeling is mutual and they look like they're about to enjoy a lovely lunch together. After, though, they can't help nitpick each other's behaviour. Steve licked his knife and kept checking his phone. Tracy used a toothpick at the table. (laughs) She sees Tommy and tells Steve that she'll see him at home and she immediately tries to lure Tommy into some more hanky-panky. And while he enjoys poo-pooing Steve, he also enjoys knocking Tracy back. And so that's what he does again. And he tells her to focus on her marriage. And this just seems to get her even more worked up. Right, yeah. She whispers something in his ear. Yeah. That she's going to do to him. Mufflers. <laughs> yes, that sounds exactly like Tracy. Well, that's what she said to him. <laughs> Mufflers, Tommy. Think about Mufflers. 
That's exactly how she talks. Yep. So Wednesday, Tomio is still working on the florist and finally succumbs to temptation when Tracy tells him she's got an empty. So they nip back to number one for the hole because Ken's out with Amy and Steve's away on a airport run. Yes, which will take him forever. Meanwhile, it's Gav's first day window cleaning. Yes. And guess where he's starting? <laughs> he's terrified of ladders, though. So a passing Tim shows him how it's done. Which in, was very sweet. But in doing so, gets an eyeful of what he thinks is Steve and Tracy going hammer and tongs. Now. So it must have been Tracy's back. I was about to ask, what did Tim see? Because... Tracy would have to be facing inward and not be laying, yeah, inward into the room on the bed. So Tim sees her back. Yes. And sees, she, so she's riding Tommy. But not really riding. Cowgirl style. Like, no, no, because cowgirl should be on top. Yeah, she's on top. She's not on top. Because if she was on top, then Tim would be able to see Tommy O. Because Tommy O's body is very... Different from Steve's. She no, 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 he no, no, only no, no, sees no, no. Tracy. So she's no, no, so they're no, no. both they're both like this. Clapping like a seal? Yes. This is Tracy. This is Tommy O. So they're doing it like this. No. So that Tim can't see the person she's doing. She just he just sees no, no, her no, no, back. No. For for me, what he sees is and maybe his leg, it's, like, draped over This her. is what I think Tim sees. Tim sees Tracy riding Tommy cowgirl style. Cowgirl he, he or reverse cowgirl? I don't think it matters. Because he doesn't see Tommy. Because Tommy's head is beyond Tracy's body. What he sees is Tommy's legs and Tommy's feet. But, but Tommy's torso and head... Tommy's legs and feet do not look like Steve's legs and feet. But that's not important because what Tim's going to be looking at is Tracy's back or boobs. If it's reverse. I can never remember which one's reverse. It's reverse when... When you're facing... When I'm facing your feet. That's reverse. Yes. So let's say it's reverse then. So Tim's got an eye full of Tracy's tits. He's not, he's not looking much at the legs other to recognise that there's legs but there. But he, he would see Tommy's head and no, face. No, doesn't see it because that's behind her body. No, because yes. the bed is like this. It's not you like this. You don't know this. what it's like. Yeah, neither do you. So what I'm saying it's like is that it's, saying- it's facing the window. So the head of the bed is far away from the window. No, I think it's no. parallel. You can't to- say no. It, it's parallel. The bed is parallel to the window. So he can only see Tracy. Because they are side by side and they're doing it that way. Like seals. I don't know what that means. Like seals. Seal style. That's not a thing. <laughs> Dear listener, if you have an idea of how Tommy O was shagging Tracy, please write in with diagrams <laughs> explaining how you think they were doing it. And... Where is Tracy in Steve's bed in reference to the window? Okay. Now I think we've milked that for <laughs> for more than enough. And we've invented a sexual position. Well, you have. I'm not going in for that. Seal style. Oh, oh. You've done it, seal style. I haven't done it, seal style. <laughs> uh, admittedly, there are some claps, but... <clears throat> 
<laughs> Not by your hands, though. Some of well, okay, but we're getting filthy now. <laughs> now, <laughs> I did like how Gav's inability to climb a ladder, which is purely there just so Tim climbs the ladder, right? Never seemed like it was a device. No, no. The way Gav was looking at the ladder, going, oh, "Don't yeah. fancy that." Something that you maybe should have thought of before, before getting starting that. a uh, window washing mm. business. But still, they sold it. It's adorable. It is. And we love Gav. So, well, this answers one of the questions. More Gav in all episodes. Because Tracy sees Tim, so it must have just been normal cowgirl. No, it must have been reverse. She bursts out to shout at Peeping Tim, and it quickly emerges that Tim thought it was Steve that she was fucking. Tracy swears Tim and Gav to secrecy because Steve's delicate about talking about this sort of thing right yes and gav's like i didn't see anything meanwhile literally it turns out sally is unsatisfied with the decorating work tomio has done in her bedroom yes the painting isn't even in the bathroom by the mirror and has asked him to come round later so he, she can complain to his face oh i love this part tim tells her about what he saw up the ladder earlier and now we have all the pieces in place for a wonderful bit of old-fashioned cory farce Innuendo sensors turned on. We're going in Woo-hoo! and we're going deep. Yes, we are. First, Sally runs into Steve, who's on the energy drinks because he's been at it for five hours. And there were times when he thought he was going to fall asleep on the job. Turns out, though, he's talking about his shift in the taxis. He's just been back to the airport. Right, yeah. And this piques Sally's interest because if Steve was working, who was fucking Tracy like an animal? And then Sally drags Tommy into the house and makes a passing comment about Tim seeing him earlier. Tim saw him in the cafe getting his porridge, which is referred to as Tommy getting his oats, a right. euphemism for sexual yes. intercourse. Yes. yes. And then says how disappointed she is, but it's easily sorted. So she drags him upstairs, telling him it won't take too long, but she's not paying. Otherwise, she's going to post a complaint on his website. Tommy, Tommy gets, thinks that she wants to have sex with him, which d- must have delighted you because you wanted them to have sex as well. Uh-huh. I thought you wanted is, Tommy to shag everybody on the street. This is going to happen. <laughs> this storyline that I dreamed up is going to happen. Tommy gets ready to shag Sally until he realises that she's talking about decorating, but he still thinks Painting. She's, she's blackmailing him. Right. Later, Tracy sneaks into number four and... Uh, Tommy learns from her that no one knows it was him in the bedroom. Everyone thinks it was Steve. But then Sally appears and quite rightly wonders why Tracy's in her house. Tracy says she just came round to thank Tommy for all his work earlier. Next, Sally bumps into Mary and Nina's roles and the conversation winds its way to Mary saying that Tracy whisked Tommy off for for lunch as soon as he'd finished the job. A thank you lunch. Now Sally has all the evidence she needs. Yes, and she, she does. just needs to get her hands on Tim and fill him in. <laughs> but not like that. Later. I can't believe that's the first but not like that. <laughs> uh, this this whole paragraph has been not like that. But like that. Right, yes. It it This was the first part that didn't already work for itself. Later. Tracy, Steve and Gav are all on the rovers and Steve is complaining about the window cleaning work on his window and Tim is just about to take the piss out of Steve for bonking Tracy when Sally comes in, fakes a bad back and gets Tim and Gav to take her home. And it was so delightful that Gav is is helping Sally home. Yeah. (laughs) So back home, 
Gav goes to leave and Tim says, oh, he's a nice lad. Yes. And Sally just slaps Tim, spells it out on a slow on the uptake Tim, says that there's nothing wrong with her back, but she's worked out that it wasn't Steve's hairy arse that he saw pounding away at Tracy. It was Tommy fucking Orpington's. Yes. And unbelievably, that's how we end this week's episode. No, what? Oh. Why is that how we end this week's episodes? What a cliffhanger. Oh my goodness. Tim's That's like, what she said. I don't know that so many emotions on Tim's face. He's right. absolutely destroyed by this information, but also secretly kind of impressed. On. Yeah. Oh my God. He's like, why didn't this happen to me? Why didn't Tommy shag my wife? This, this episode, Wednesday's episode. Delightful. Sally. Sleuth Oh my God. Sally. Unbelievable. Sally the sleuth. I was howling with laughter watching that. <laughs> when she's going to drag Tommy up the stairs, it was just brilliantly so done. So funny. So funny. Because he's going to do it. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to have to shag this woman. And I guess I'm just going to have to do it. I mean, let's be honest, right? The weightiness of this storyline this week is negligible. Right, yes. This is our comic relief from the for the week from the from the bullying and the Joel is a cheat and This was the main story on Wednesday. This yes. was story A on Wednesday. Yes. And all it was was innuendo Sexual farce. Double entendre. Perfect. And Sally making Kenneth Williams faces. No no. It was just just absolutely brilliant. And like I said in the notes, there's a moment where all the setup is done. It's like when you make a, a domino rally. Right. You spend time intricately placing all these little pieces in the right place. So, right. So everything's going to work where you step back from it, you just knock the first domino over and just wait for it all to happen. That was exactly what was happening here. Yes. We're putting all the, the players in the right place. We're putting all the information in the right place. So when it gradually just leaks out, once we start down this road, it's poetry in motion. Yes. How they did it. It was like Knives Out. It reminded me of Knives Out. Ah. The final piece that falls into place was very much a... Agatha Christie or a Knives Out sort of moment for that. Aha, right, I'm ready to get everyone into the... Call everyone into the drawing room. I'm about to reveal who done it. Right. It was just brilliant. Yes. Very good. Very good. Enjoyed it. But it does present <laughs> us with a, an issue that... Tracy's about to be found out. Yeah. And is Steve going to be okay with this? Well, how can he be okay with it? Because he loves Tommy more than he loves Tracy? Or I don't know. This is this is He wants to watch. Remember he was he was very upset with the Paula thing. Yeah. This is worse than that. That's true. For Steve, this is worse than that. He was very upset by the Paula thing. Which is weird, because isn't that like every man's fantasy? No. <laughs> you took a while to answer. I wasn't aware you were waiting for an answer. <laughs> if I ask a question, I mean, I'm as, waiting for an I, answer. I mean, as, as, as lovely as Paula was. I've seen porn. 
It seems like that's every man's fantasy. I think that's porn. Okay. I think I think what makes it worse, what it will make it worse for Steve is the fact that Tracy and Amy have complained about the fact that he is so obsessed with Tommy O that he's been neglecting his wife. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out that his wife has been neglecting him because of Tommy O. Yeah. Because Tim or because Steve suggests to Tracy on their way home that maybe they can uh Oh yep, they were gonna go they can get a little exercise in, uh-huh, work off dinner. that steak. Mm-hmm. And Tracy's like, Oh, I have to just nip to the shop real quick to check on something. I'll I'll be right with you. And then we, and then we don't know what happened after that if she right. if she did do that or not yeah because she goes back to the shop to proposition tommy and that's the point where he knocks her back well he prop she propositions him in the street yeah right outside her shop yeah yeah nobody knows what she's talking about though except for him there was a little uh sad bit though when when she finally talks tommy into it and she shouts to mary that i'm just going to take Tommy away for lunch. And then Mary comes out and shouts, can I come too? And And there was nobody there. And everybody's gone. It's so sad. Sorry, Mary. You cannot be part of this menage a trois. Steve has been like a little boy with Tommy O. Yes. This part of the storyline's a little far-fetched, I think. But it's, I guess, perfectly like Steve. Right. And like Tim. Yeah. Because they're stupid. And also Kev, to for some invi- reason. To invite Tommy O to a romantic dinner that you're having yeah. with your wife is just, it's just stupid. But, but I don't know. It all feels like the, 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 this uh, potential breakup in, in their relationship has been manufactured. But I don't know. I don't know where <clears throat> where Steve has the, has the confidence in himself to forgive this. No, no, because how is he ever going to compete with Tommy O? No. Because let's remember, Tommy O is a much bigger deal in his mind than in Tracy's mind. Yeah, she doesn't even know who he is. Right, yeah. And still kind of rolls her eyes. It's all women on the street do when these idiots are like, as soon as Tommy walks into Nina's roles, starts doing like one of the chants that they did for him when he was when they were in a big stadium and not a teeny tiny coffee shop. And it's a chant, I don't know if you'd heard it, which was about Tommy O's going to shag your wife, basically. Right. Yeah. The hilarity that is oh, that so funny. he already has. Right, yeah. And is about to again. Right. Yeah. That's got to be annoying for Tommy. I feel bad for Tommy O that he has to deal with this sort of thing. Can you imagine he, him having to deal with this? All the time. I like that part of the storyline is as Tommy O's hesitance to have anything to do with this. He doesn't even want to hang out and have a beer with with him or anything. But yeah, he goes into a into a cafe to get his breakfast, and these two muppets are singing a song about how he's going to shag everybody's wife. And Tommy O, for all his faults, right. I don't think he's getting off on that no. at all. He's no. embarrassed by it this because is... he runs out of the cafe and says, yeah. I'll come back for that later. Right, yeah. So he's been 
more of a gentleman about this than I think they're expecting him to be. Right. And the fact that every time like they they ask him to do something or something and he obviously doesn't want to and Tracy calls him on it, he's he's like, I can't say no because then they'll think bad of me and it'll get in the papers mm. sort of thing. So it's really kind of interesting how Tommy O is kind of like a woman in this storyline <laughs> where he has to be overly polite all the time or else men will hate him and not love him anymore and, and see, say mean things to him. This is this is my kind of hesitance about the character because I like the character and I like the portrayal of the character. I, I think the portrayal of the character is really interesting. Yes. I would like him to stay in the show beyond this affair. Right. But it's hard to see how that happens. Right. Because this continual trying to do the thing to keep the fans happy, but also trying to keep yourself happy and have right. a, a reasonably normal life. Right. There's no longevity in, no. in that. That's going to get boring really quickly. Absolutely. And that feels like a shame because that kind of feels like maybe then then his time on the street is going to be kind of limited. But for the moment, what it has done... (laughs) Let's not forget he was supportive of ITV Corey. So we should be like, fuck that guy. We've all forgotten about that. That gets added to the list. That does get added to the list. That's on Wendy's list of things that the show's forgotten. His introduction here, I think, has given an awful lot of people what they've been clamouring for for a very long time. This is an old-fashioned Sexual style, hijinks. Sexual hijinks, Coronation Street being funny. Right. And a main storyline. Right, in a soap opera-y way. And, and being pretty good at it. Right. This was Ian Kershaw's episode that he wrote on Wednesday. Uh-huh. And I think he did an incredible job. Yes. Being filthy and smutty. Right. And that kind of end of the pier... Right. Schoolboy type, hilarity type way. Absolutely. Without it being too 1980s. Right. It was a... Without being offensive and problematic. Oh yeah, absolutely. It was it was really well pitched. And I honestly came away from that thinking this is the best episode of Corey that I've seen in a very long time. Mm-hmm. Certainly this year. Ah. And that was the week that was Coronation Street then. Helen, tell me. What was your moment of the week? Well, as much as I would love to give it to Sally leading Tommy up the stairs, right? it's got to be Sean confronting Dylan. Yeah, for me it's in that storyline as well. I don't know if it's George talking to Liam, but but Sean... Dylan. Yeah. But, Which is confusing because the actor's name is Liam. But Sean's uh, discussion uh, or rage at, yes. at Dylan was was something that I don't think a lot of people were expecting to see from Sean these days. Right. A lot of the faith that has kind of been lost in that character over the years felt like it was restored a little bit, seeing, yeah. seeing Sean with that sort of thing to be able to deliver and doing it so well. And, you know, for me, I mean, the whole I've got the bloodstained t-shirt to prove it, watching that in a week where a non-binary child in Oklahoma was murdered in their school bathroom. You know, it's just so powerful mm-hmm. to have this character 
being played by a person who probably also in real life has the bloodstained t-shirt to prove it. I'm sure. You know, it's just so emotional and so on the nose in the right way. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. So, so kudos to Anthony. Yep. That is our moment of the week. Our moment of the week. Your boring moment of the week. Is it? Is it? Is it? Daniel being <laughs> patronizing to Bethany, although he is perfectly in, within his rights to be patronizing to Bethany when it comes to stealing racist Kelly's story. I kind of feel like it's still got to be Daniel being patronizing because that's so boring that he continues to be so patronizing. Even when he's right, he's patronizing. We have given it to Daniel the past three weeks, I think. I was going to suggest Nick this week. What part of Nick? Because most of the stuff with Nick is hilarious because it also involves Wallace and Gromit. It's just the the stuff really at the start where where I learned that he was still angry about this uh, at the start of the week just made me roll my eyes. I was just so done and just so bored by it. Fine, we can give it to Nick. Just try to spread the love a little bit. Nick, just failure to get the whole Simon thing. <gasps> did we talk about? Did we talk about the 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 Daisy and Jenny and the and the pup sort of storyline that was going throughout the week? We didn't. We didn't. And the the nuns' tears, beer, or yeah, whatever. And that's fine. You're just going to have to live without that. Those. Those two half scenes. Right. I think that's going about. to culminate into something bigger next week. I agree. So we'll mention it. We'll, we'll mention it more then. So Nick, Nick's failure to... Nick the dick. His failure to go over the Sam thing immediately as I demand is our... Boy moment of the week. Your score out of 10 this week? You know, I'm going to say a nine. <laughs> Maybe it should be a two episode week every week. I'm giving it a nine as well. Yeah, I'm, it was I good. was tempted by a nine and a half, but the reason that I'm not giving it a nine and a half <gasps> is it wasn't a three episode week. Hmm. So I feel like a three episode week may have ruined it. It may have because there've been lots of weeks where Monday and Friday are great and Wednesday is terrible. But I think this is the highest score we've maybe given any week. Yeah, I think so too. Since we started, yeah, giving scores out of ten. Yes, and it's been on the back of. Some fours out of ten, a five out of ten, maybe a three and a half out of ten. Is this Corey turning a corner? I don't want to say that. I don't yet. want to jinx it, but I mean they keep on producing stuff like this, and yeah, if they we'll be very if they happy. if they keep doing like concise two episode weeks, I'm all for yeah, it. Which means more football. Oh well. Hmm. This episode was brought to you with thanks to our friends of the podcast. Daisy, French Helen, Pickles, T.T., Trisha, Wendy, Noel, Canadian Helen, Christy, and Shandy. Yay! If you've ever made a dubious sexual innuendo, (laughs) let's be having it. We're the talk of the street. If you've ever done it, seal stuff. And we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Threads, and Blue Sky. You can shake me and Helen a coffee or become a friend of the podcast by heading to kofi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for the links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes of your podcast provider of choice. And be sure to check out our pop culture sister podcast, The List of Lists. Yes. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be Thank back you. next week with more. Our talk on the street. Talk on the street. Bye. Cheerio.